This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, this is Brandon Peterson, the artist of The Age of Ultron from Marvel Comics this spring. And you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and, of course, Matt. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode 116 of THN, where Hi. we're talking comics and nerd news. For the week of Wednesday, May 22nd, my name is Matt Baum, that is at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter, and when I'm not being unfairly targeted by the IRS for my affiliation to the First Church of Yobo Fofas, I write the comic speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, that's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, and when I'm not swearing off Dancing with the Stars after Zendaya didn't win, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of Good Plus, which you can find at GoodPlusComic.com, shows what you know, I was rooting for Kelly Pickler. Okay, I don't know what it means, my wife thought that would be funny. It was pretty funny to me. Okay, fair enough. This week on the show, you'll hear reviews of The Bounce, number one, and... Green Lantern, number 20. After that, we'll mainline two Taco Bell waffle tacos and lose our minds. Wait, well, what is a waffle taco? I don't know. It's a is thing. Is that a thing? Though. Yeah, it's a thing. Oh, sh- We'll get to it. While we review 10 more of this week's comics during a ludicrous speed round, and we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll be dining on cicadas and honey with our buddy the Chameleon while discussing next week's comics. And finally... We'll count down our top five favorite fallen comic heroes in honor of Memorial Day. But sorry, rap fans. Before we get not to all this month, not this month. Before we get to all the political damage control and drone striking, let's bust out our beach blankets and fill the living room with sand because Sunday at 4:01 a.m. we're having an Arrested Development beach party clam bake at my place, and then we'll talk about this week's big news. <laughs> About a month ago, AOL shut down its popular Comics Alliance blog, and as expected, the outpouring of support from fans was immediate and overwhelming. Interestingly, the site, along with all of its previously published content, stayed up. Now, it seems that there is a spark of life left in Comics Alliance after all. A new entry appeared on the blog on Monday. The title was a winky face emoticon. (laughs) And the body of the post contained... The final scene of Frank Miller's Batman The Dark Knight Returns, where a grieving Clark Kent, in the middle of Batman's funeral, hears the Dark Knight's heartbeat roar back to life. What could it mean? I know. Then on Friday, another post appeared. This one featured an image of the clear blue sky as seen from the bottom of the prison pit from The Dark Knight Rises. Once the page loaded, the rhythmic chanting... (laughs) That accompanied Christian Bale's climb to freedom played in the background. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, the post, the title of the post is Bale's quote from the film. What does that mean? It means rise. Yeah. Pretty cool. So it's coming back. Something's happening. Something's out. Or the page has been hacked. I don't think the page has been <laughs> hacked. I think Anonymous got a hold of comics. On it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they're just screwing with us. Like, oh, you bastards. But it's good news. It's good news. Yeah, yeah. And... Hopefully, it's the staff of Comics Alliance bringing back Comics Alliance and not AOL taking what was there and you know capitalizing on the popularity by bringing back something inferior. I doubt it. Yeah. I doubt it. 
I mean, once they killed it, they I killed. feel like we would have heard about it if it wasn't legit Comics Alliance. And trust me, we know there's not enough money in comics journalism to really, you know, raise the eyebrow of AOL. It turns out, though, that Comics Alliance was profitable and AOL shut it down anyway. No kidding. Yeah, not part of their business plan, well, I guess. Were they, like, traded on the stock market? No, but, I mean, it wasn't <laughs> It wasn't costing them money. I, I mean, sold was... all my shares for dirt. <laughs> I guess we should have seen this coming in a surprise announcement this week. X-Men Days of the Future Past director Brian Singer confirmed American Horror Story actor Evan Peters has been cast as Quicksilver in the Fox sequel. Who's Evan Peters? Who is he? Evan Peters was, in season one, he was like the troubled kid. He, he that wore the latex suit befriended and, the daughter. and raped people. No spoilers! Oh, please. If you haven't seen it by now, he was a ghost, too. You may recall... That writer, director Joss Whedon confirmed the character's presence in Avengers 2 not long ago also. Singer's announcement came in a tweet that contained a not-so-subtle dig at the Marvel Studios franchise. Quote, Before he was an Avenger, he was just a really fast kid. Thrilled to say Evan Peters is joining X-Men Days of the Future Past as Quicksilver, unquote. Singer later deleted that tweet and replaced it with something less antagonizing. Marvel Studios Honcho. I really like how you call him that. <laughs> I don't know what his official title is, so he's the Honcho. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Kevin Feige is on record saying that Quicksilver occupies a gray area from which both Fox and Marvel can draw. But reports have surfaced that the relationship between the studios isn't as amicable as originally believed. At the very least, Fox can't make any reference to Avengers, and Marvel Studios can't refer to Quicksilver as a mutant or mention any relationship to Magneto. A report from HitFix.com states that the two studios have entered a, quote, legally negotiated standoff, which sounds really fun for everyone involved. <laughs> so, Joe, which studio blinks first here? I, you know what? I don't know. It's really strange that this is happening. It's really weird, and it just seems like all we end up with is a neutered character. Well, the thing to consider is Days of Future Past comes first. Which means they're going to have their chance to get Quicksilver to the screen before Avengers 2. This is true. But it does seem like this was shoehorned in right. in response totally. to Marvel Studios' announcement. Yeah, it really does. And this just They're just like, like, oh yeah? Oh yeah. Well, you we can't use Magneto's kids. We could put We're a using bigger Magneto's middle kids. finger on the movie screen than you can. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know? But I mean, if it comes down to a legal battle... Uh, but a legal battle over what? If he's in this gray area, what's the battle? I don't know. I, I really it. don't know. It's just so peculiar. And if it's just going to be like passive aggressive, they're each going to do their own thing, whatever. We're going to end up with two weird versions of yeah. Quicksilver at the same time that don't have anything to do with each two other. Two separate neutered versions of Quicksilver. Yeah. Eh. I, I, don't I, don't, know. I don't care at all. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'd almost rather Avengers scrap their plans for Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch because you can get more out of the characters on the Magneto side. Absolutely. Than you can on the Avengers side. Absolutely. And we've talked about that before. Or, you know, throw the Scarlet Witch into the Avengers. I'm okay with that. Just as, you know, he can't be Quicksilver's brother or Magneto's daughter. Yeah. You know, but like, if Quicksilver's not a mutant, I don't care. If Quicksilver's not the son of Magneto, I don't care. Well, I mean, I don't need them to classify him as a mutant. That's not... I, I, I've never I've never really... I guess the only reason I need him classified as a mutant is because he's Magneto's kid. Sure, but 
you know, when they were in the Avengers, I never really thought of them as the mutant characters. I never even really thought of Quicksilver as an Avenger. That's true, too. He seemed like he was always causing problems and being a jerk. That's true, too. It's just such a weird thing. And this legally negotiated standoff. Right. I don't even know what that means. That's two lawyers writing threatening emails. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, oh, yeah, send. Oh, yeah, send. And, (laughs) you know, if you had asked me a while ago, I would have said that, you know, Fox has more pull. But now Marvel Studios is owned by Disney. So. Yeah. Who knows? It's just such a bizarre thing. Battle of the Gargantuas. Yep. Finally, a Philadelphia preschool has cracked down on a troubling form of behavior plaguing their students. Effective May 17th, superhero and monster games will no longer be permitted at unnamed Philadelphia preschool. Dude, like, is this Principal Meanie? <laughs> you know, like, That's right, folks. Like... The school has forbidden make-believe. <laughs> Someone claiming to have a child at the school in question snapped a photo of the flyer that was distributed to parents and posted it on Reddit. The typo-ridden plea says, quote, Recently, it has been brought to our attention that the imaginations of our preschool children are becoming dangerously overactive, causing injuries within our pre-K community. Although we encourage creative thinking and imaginary play, we do not promote our children hurting one another Wrestling, superhero play, and monster games will not be permitted. My God. In addition, please monitor the different media that your children may view. The reenactment of television shows and movies are being done during active playtimes in the school. Now, Matt, I'm not an expert. I don't have kids. But it sounds like these child care providers can't be bothered to actually care for the children that go there. I don't know. This, first of all, sounds like bullshit. Second of all, how do you monitor this? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you kids fighting over? Are you supposed to be Captain America? No, that, no, That's no. just it. Look, I'm just, uh, you know, a Navy SEAL. Is it okay if they <laughs> pretend to be pirates? Right. Or <laughs> if they pretend to do Star Wars stuff? Right. Or you know, like, what, 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 this is just ridiculous. Yeah, but the idea, but the photo on, on Reddit has a, has a picture from the... Brad Meltzer, Ed Benes, Justice League of America from right. some years ago with a huge red, like, no smoking sign, blam, on top of the, on top of the superheroes. Right. It's like superheroes, really. Yeah. And the, and the parents are reacting very poorly. And of course, the public is, is not buying it. But the okay. idea that, like, you can't, like, the kids can't pretend to be heroes. Yeah. It's just stupid. It's nonsense. Just say no fighting. Right. It's hey, like kids, no fighting. If the kids start pounding each other because one's pretending to be the Hulk and one's pretending to be the Abomination, I agree, that's a problem. Right. But say... What if they're playing football? Oh, ah, yeah, you know? <laughs> really? But yeah, know? and also the reenactment, the, don't let them reenact TV shows. Right. Lord knows they're going to come to work and reenact their bones the keeping up with the kardashians (laughs) episode they saw last night right rich rich johnston had a very excellent use of um where it's like yep it's just another brick in the wall and it's like (laughs) totally calm down british dude (laughs) he's right he's absolutely right this is disgusting yeah it's really gross and those preschool uh employees need to just get off their asses no give me a break
That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where you can find adorable little pictures of Joe Patrick and I as babies running around dressed as Wonder Woman and Amethyst, Princess of Gem World. Joe Patrick was, of course, the Princess of Gem World. But yeah. yeah. Each week, my favorite pretty little princess, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week on our Facebook and Twitter. And we not only read your responses, but if you call us on Skype, our Skype name is Two Headed Nerd, or leave us a message on the Ziggurat direct phone, 402 819 4894. Booyah. We will play your responses on the Answer of the Week audio blog, exclusively available at Two Headed Nerd. Dot com. Well, the new issue, I guess. You don't have to quantify it. It's, exclu- it's exclusively available on tutanerd.com. Joe, what do we ask these nerds this week? This week's question was, what superhero did you want to be or pretend to be when you were a kid? And please include an adorable story if possible. If you want to hear us making fun of your adorable answers along with our own precious bedwetting responses, go to tutanerd.com. And check out the unedited, hey. not safe for Wopak, comma Tom, answer of the week audio blog. All right, I like it. Next week or later this week. Soon. Someday. Make believe that we're happy. Just pretend that it's true. It's review time on THN where Matt and I review two of this week's new comics and decide whether or not we should call in the drones to blow them all to hell. Matt, what did you read this week? This week, I read The Bounce, number one. From Image Comics, written by Joe Casey, with art by David Messina. Here's your solicit. I read it last week, so I'm not doing it again. Basically, (laughs) The Bounce is a stoner superhero in over his head and possibly existing in more than one reality. Or something. Or maybe he's just really f***. There's a lot going on here, and I like some of it. In typical Joe Casey fashion, he's grabbed the reader like a kid afraid of water and tossed him into the deep end of a story that could be... What if Spider-Man smoked a ton of weed and turned into something else entirely? Maybe. (laughs) Again, not really sure. What we do know, the bounce appears to be a human super ball and recreational drug user. We also see a weird military conspiracy complete with an H.R. Geiger-inspired character from another dimension. And a super-powered drug dealer named The Fog that is his own drug. Like I said, a lot going on. And maybe a little too much. There is almost no introduction to the main character. The military conspiracy, while interesting, is only briefly touched on, and I'm still not really sure what the deal is with the fog, period. I like all of these ideas, and as we've come to expect with the Joe Casey joint, the dialogue is excellent. But there's just too much happening here. Artist David Messina seems to get better every time I see his work, and I truly wish him all the success in the world. I love him. I love the way this comic looks, but it seems to suffer from a case of read-it-in-trade paperback. When the story comes together, it's probably going to be great. But as a first issue, I can really only give this a skimmit. There was just too much going on, and I think Joe Casey is truly writing for the trade here. Yeah, and unlike sex... Although I don't understand the point of it, really. Of this or sex? Of sex. Okay. Uh, It's very straightforward in the telling of it. Very. And so this was completely just bonkers by comparison. It's all over the place. You don't really understand, did he have his powers already? It seems like he did. And then he went to meet the fog and get this super drug, and then he gets sucked to another dimension. Maybe. Or was it a flashback? I see. That's just it. The story 
no pun intended here, but it bounced around way too much. Right, and and not in a way that made me think, ooh, you know, they're kind of playing with the 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 linear right, you know, version of time. It's it's just confusing. Yeah, I love the art. I think David Messina is a great artist, and I think he's gonna end up being one of the greats. I I think he's like one big time Marvel or DC or he's gonna get snatched up. And, any yeah. any moment now. Not that the book, not that the work he's doing at IDW and here is not great, but I think he's going to be in the next generation of artists. I think he's going to be one of the top names. Yeah, I'm going to be sad to lose him from Star but Trek. Certainly. This is a skim it for me as well. I just, I there was nothing really to latch onto here for me. I'll read the next one, but I'm not going to give it much more than that if it doesn't if it doesn't really hook me. Fair enough, Joe. What'd you read this week? My pick for this week was Green Lantern number twenty from DC Comics, written by Jeff Johns. Art by Doug Mankey and friends. I'm not listening to them all, so forget it. <laughs> Colors by Alex Sinclair and Tony Avina. Here's the solicit. It's the final battle against the First Lantern and the Guardians in this, the exercised finale of Jeff Johns' historic run on the title. Finale. Plus, finale. <laughs> Plus, don't miss a special retrospective on Jeff's run on GL. Now, my attachment to Jeff Johns' Green Lantern isn't what it used to be. I've never stopped reading it, but my connection to the series and my urgency to read each issue has dropped pretty steadily in recent years. It's true. I Me think, too. Yeah. I, I think that as much as I enjoyed the great world building Johns did early on, especially starting with the Sinestro Corps War, the constant jump from huge story to huge story has worn thin. That's never been more apparent than in the post-reboot issues of the series. I feel like this title, along with all of the other uh, Green Lantern family books, has been in one relentlessly long crossover for the past 20 months. None of that is to say that it hasn't been a mostly fun ride, but when I heard Johns was leaving the title, I felt an odd sense of relief, and I started looking forward to something new. Which brings us to Green Lantern number 20, the final chapter of Wrath of the First Lantern and the final issue of Johns' nine-year run. For me, the ongoing conflict with the First Lantern takes a backseat to the way Johns utilizes nearly every component he's added to the GL mythos to craft his swan song. This issue is a rainbow of various Lantern cores, along with the stark contrasts of black and white. The villain is, of course, vanquished, and as the scene plays out, Johns delivers page after page of masterful character writing. Spoiler alert, the good guys win. Yeah, really. (laughs) He simply doesn't miss a beat when it comes to writing these characters. And I'll be perfectly honest, the Wrath of the First Lantern story is almost irrelevant. Like, it could have been anything. This could have been a standalone send-off, one last battle with Sinestro or whatever. It wasn't, and that's fine, but... That just goes to show you how little I was invested in the ongoing plot. But now that we've got to this wrap-up issue, you know, John's really delivered on the promise of a huge send-off. The real stars, though, are Doug Mankey and his team of artists. This is a brilliantly drawn issue, and it delivers every bit of the visual wonder that it promises. You've got Ivan Rice, Ethan Van Skyver, Jerry Ordway, Patrick Gleason, just... These are the best guys working. Uh, at Cully DC Hamner, right? Like, now. just tons and tons of top drawer artists, and they each contribute a little bit, and they're all at the top of their game. It's really wonderfully visually. It's very stunning, visually wonderful. 
As he's done so often in the past, Johns ends the issue by giving us a glimpse of the future. But instead of showing us what's to come, Johns and the guest artists show us the happy endings that could be for all of the characters that we've been following the past nine years. Johns even offers a hint of mystery that, while it's so obvious, feels like a perfect fit, and I'm happy never to have it referenced again. It's just a fun little little bit of mystery twist. I'll mention it to you once we stop recording in case you don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, well, I'll tell you when we're done recording. Okay. Uh, The issue is also filled with pages and pages of congratulations and thanks from John's peers and family members. And though it's a fitting tribute, it's the most grand send-off that I've ever seen in comics. I've never seen a final issue of a run this with this much fanfare. Yeah, I'm trying to think back. I can't. Like Mark Wade leaving the Flash, yeah. Peter David leaving the Hulk. I've never seen any, even Grant Morrison leaving Batman. Though I guess we still have some to go on that. We still have some to go. But I've never seen a send off of this magnitude. Green Lantern Twenty is an amazingly well put together milestone issue. As fun as Detective Comics Nine Hundred was, it doesn't hold a candle to Green Lantern Number Twenty. I wish every major milestone in comics could be handled this well. Anyone complaining about the price tag needs to take a second and realize that aside from the inside covers and the promos for the new GL franchise creative teams, there are zero ads in this entire book. Not one. Very cool. It's jam-packed with content, and it's a great send-off to a writer that brought new life to this corner of the DCU. Huge buy it from me. I didn't read it yet. God damn it. I am not caught up on The Wrath of the First Lantern. It doesn't matter. Probably not. But being the nerd that I am, I gotta read. I'm like three issues behind. That's I've got to read them all. Fine. I totally agree with what you were saying about crossover after crossover after crossover. Yeah, I mean, really, it's just like, can't he just yeah. police his sector for you, a while? Right. You know, like, and <laughs> I almost feel me. like we lost a lot of character building in it. You know, like characters being built by turmoil is not necessarily character building. Well, I think. We got a lot of character building. It just wasn't Hal Jordan's character. That could be it. And maybe it was too many characters. Yeah, he couldn't resist introducing new things to the mythos. And a lot of that stuff was great fun, and I love what he's done. He did get old after a while. I'm ready for something new. This was a great way to send him off. Fair enough. So that is a double skim it for the bounce number one and a single buy it for Green Lantern number 20. Of course, we want to know what you weed smoking heroes and ring slingers thought of these comics, so load a bowl for us and cough out your opinions over at the comments section for this episode at toitatnerd.com. Drug reference. Drugs. Hearing the news that Taco Bell had introduced a waffle taco and knowing full well that it would only be a matter of days before the Justice Department brings them up on a billion counts of manslaughter charges, <laughs> Joe and I took it upon ourselves to test drive this unholy beast while strapped to a chair so as not to hurt ourselves or each other while we vibrated in our seats, quivering under the effects of salt, sugar, and fat that some would call poison. Here we call it fuel for reviewing 10 comics during this week's Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Green Team, number one, from DC. I had literally no idea what to expect from this title, but I was really curious about it due to the involvement of Art Balthazar and Franco. After the first issue, I still have no idea what it's really about. 
A bunch of uber-rich teenagers fund a bunch of mad science, and maybe they're going to use it to become superheroes? Maybe? I don't know. Decent art. I'm still curious about where it's going. Skin it. Journey into Mystery number 652 from Marvel. Guys, I'm not just saying this because I'm totally gay for Beta Ray Bill, and I am, but this is the best Marvel comic that you are not reading. Captain Immerman is writing the hell out of this. Artist Valerio Shitty has never Skeety. looked better. He is so good, and they are killing it detailing the adventures of Lady Sif. Buy this damn comic, you guys. Half Past Danger, number one from IDW. This was a really strong debut issue written and drawn by Stephen Mooney. After his platoon gets wiped out by Nazi dinosaurs, maybe they're not Nazi dinosaurs, but there were Nazis involved. Yeah, yeah, how could they be? Like, I'm calling them Nazi dinosaurs. Dinosaurs that don't like Jewish people? I'm calling them <laughs> Nazi dinosaurs. A washed out scientist, nope, a washed out sergeant gets recruited by a secret organization of international agents. Suspense, intrigue, great art, fun story. Don't miss this. Buy it. Lobster Johnson, Satan smells a rat. One shot from Dark Horse. Kevin Newland draws this one shot, and I almost forgot how much I love his art. Magnola and Arcudi are on the writing duties, and as usual, this is a hard-hitting, violent pulp adventure of Hellboy's Idol featuring weird genetic experimentation. It was violent, it was bloody, it was cool, it was creepy. I loved it. Buy it. Superman 20 from DC. I can't believe I'm saying this. Superman number 20 wasn't half bad. No kidding. No kidding. Aaron Cooter joins on art, and the book immediately becomes more palatable than it has been in over a year. Who's writing it? It's still Scott Liddell. Still Scott Liddell. There's something about Cooter's more simple, stripped-down style that suits Superman much better than the hyper-fussy, over-designed art of someone like Kenneth Rockford. I would say cracked out. <laughs> not that Kenneth Rockford is not a great artist. He's great, but he is it's cracked just, out, man. It's too much for Superman. Cooter's art is a much better fit. It's not great, but it's definitely an improvement. Skim it. Fair enough. Accelerators number one from Blue Juice Comics. Welcome aboard, Blue Juice Comics. This is a deadly game of cat and mouse with two characters that can only jump forward in time, but when they jump too far, they end up in a future gladiatorial deathmatch with other people plucked from time, like caveman versus Nazi and stuff like that. It was a lot of fun. I really like this. Really good dialogue. Well written. Covered by Walt Flanagan. Yeah, covered by Walt Flanagan. TV's Walt Flanagan. And if that doesn't sell a comic, I don't know what does. Buy it. Double Jumpers, number four from Action Lab. This is the final issue of what has been a really funny series about a bunch of game developers swapping minds with their AI creations. RPG characters running rampant in real-world Las Vegas was not the love. Plus, they set the stage nicely for future stories. Seek this out and buy it. Akaniro, number one from Dark Horse. It's a fun take on Red Riding Hood if it were set as a feudal Japanese fairy tale. One is credited to video game designer American McGee. But I'm not sure what he did because it's written by Justin Acklin and drawn by Vasilis Lolos. American McGee is an idea man. Apparently. It's a really fun read. Great art. Reminded me of a more violent Miyazaki story. I loved it. Buy it. Avengers number 12 from Marvel. I want to love Hickman's Avengers a whole lot more than I actually do. And after a year's worth of stories that have been crammed into less than six months, mind you, I'm still on the fence about it. The bottom line for me is that this book just doesn't feel like the Avengers. Agreed. Uncanny Avengers feels like the Avengers. It totally does. That aside, this issue is a fun diversion in the Savage Land that takes a pretty Avengers-ish twist at the end. I'm giving it a skim it. 
I'm done with Mike Diodato. I really like this book. I wish it wasn't the Avengers, though. I'm with you. It just yeah. doesn't feel like the Avengers. I'm also done with Mike Diodato. I'm not a fan. Done with it. Occupy Comics number one from Black Mask. This is an anthology featuring work by Joshua Hale, Phil Cobb, Alan Moore, J.M. Dematius, and many, many more. It's a great look at the Occupy movement from an outsider's perspective without getting preachy. One percenters like Joe Patrick may not care, but I really liked it. This was fun, and the money goes to a good place, although I don't know if anyone's occupying anything anymore. Where does the money go? Apparently it's going to the Occupy movement. Um, buy it. What? That is your ludicrous speed round, and is the sound of a puking time traveler as seen in the pages of Accelerators number one from Blue Juice Comics. Hearing the news that a swarm of cicadas of biblical proportion had invaded the East Coast, Matt and I thought that this would be the perfect time to invite our inside man, the chameleon, who has been posing as different employees at all the various comic publishers for the past few months, over for cicadas and honey, a Japanese delight, in the Sanctum Sanctorum, so he can spill the beans on next week's comics, Matt. Which of next week's comics has you salivating? Next week, I'm excited for X-Men, number one, which should be called X-Women, number one. From Marvel Comics. Can't sell that book. <sighs> Written by Brian Wood, with art by Oliver Coipel. Olivier Coipel. Whatever. The X-Women finally get their own book, but it's not called The X-Women. From critically acclaimed superstars Brian Wood and Oliver Olivier Coipel. <laughs> Here's your solicit. An old enemy shows up at the X-Men's door, seeking asylum from an ancient evil come back to Earth. Meanwhile, Jubilee has come home, and she's brought with her an orphaned baby who might hold the key to Earth's survival. Or it's destruction. And she's still a vampire. And it's an alien baby. Against the backdrop of what seems like an alien invasion and an eon-spanning war between brother and sister, Storm steps up and puts together a team to protect the child and stop a new threat that could destroy all life on Earth! Exclamation point. You sound a little bit like Zorak when you talk like I this. I kind of do, don't I? Blood dumpster. <laughs> There is no I in team, but there is a me and a meat. <laughs> Joe Patrick, what are you excited for next week? My pick for next week is The Wake, number one from Vertigo, written by Scott Snyder and art by Sean Murphy. Here's your solicit. There's something down there. When marine biologist Lee Archer is approached by the Department of Homeland Security for help with a new threat, she declines but quickly realizes they won't take no for an answer. Soon she is plunging to the depths of the Arctic Circle to a secret underwater oil rig where they've discovered something miraculous and terrifying. Writer Scott Snyder and artist Sean Murphy bring their acclaimed talents to this sci-fi horror epic that explores the horrors of the deep, probes the origins of human history, and leaps far beyond to a frightening future. This sounds like the coolest thing ever. I, oh, man. I love Scott Snyder's horror. Yeah, horror work. And if American Vampire is going on hiatus for this, that's fine. I am all in. Yeah. Terrors, horrible fish monsters from the Black Lagoon. Sean freaking Murphy. Uh, Sign me up. The THN trade of the week this week goes to Thor, 
God of Thunder, Volume 1, written by Jason Aaron, with art by Isad Ribic. If you're not reading this Thor story, you are a fool of godlike proportions. It is amazing. These might be the best Thor stories ever written. I love God of Thunder. I think that this is still, I think that this is the best Marvel Now comic. Totally agree. It's so good. Of course, we want to know what you're looking forward to next week. So be sure to tell us what condiments you like on your insects and what you plan on reading over at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash two-headed nerd. As you may or may not know, in America, it is Memorial Day weekend. Those jerks in Great Britain have to go to work on Monday. Sorry, suckers. So we decided to take a moment to pay... Um, well, I guess the whole rest of the world, not just the UK. Right. Yeah. We decided to take a moment to pay homage to our fallen superheroes with a top five dead superheroes countdown. Joe, start us off. Who is your number five? Now... When we crafted the five, we did not discuss the parameters of the list. We all know that comic book death is fluid. Yeah. And so uh, these might not necessarily be characters that stayed dead. Okay, all mine, still dead. That's fine, but I don't think it was a requirement. It's not necessarily a requirement, but mine counts more. For, for my list, I did... I really focused more on like the impact that their death in comics had on me as a reader. Fair enough. That said, my first is still dead. Okay. My number five fallen hero is Ted Knight. That's a good one. Father of Jack Knight. That's a good one. Who sacrificed himself to save Opal City from the mist in the pages of Starman. He had been living with cancer, but keeping it secret because he had fought Dr. Phosphorus. Man, that story was so good. And the cancer was eating him alive, and the mist had a bomb tied to his heart. And Opal City was going to go. And rather than let the city get damaged or anybody get hurt, Ted flies a building with him and the mist on it into space. And at the end, these two lifelong foes that have been at each each other's throats literally for decades just kind of have a moment of, like, understanding. And then the bomb goes off, and then they're gone. It was beautiful. Oh, God. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. By the way, have I mentioned that I love Starman? It was a butt-wrenching story, truly. <laughs> but it gave me a real butt feeling. <laughs> Matt, what's your number five? My number five goes to Captain Marvel. That is Marvel. He was created by Gene Colan and Stan Lee. Marvel was the baddest Kree warrior you ever did see, but not bad enough to beat cancer. Hmm. It was. I remember reading this when I was very young, and it was really like. A sad story. All the heroes came around and, like, they could travel time. They can lift up a skyscraper, but they could not figure out this crazy alien cancer that Captain Marvel got. This was one of the first times that I remember reading a comic book story that dealt with a very real-world problem. And it kind of shook me as a kid, you know? And I still, if you go back and read it, excellent Jim Starlin story. Sure. Really good story. I, I have zero affinity for Captain Marvel. I really don't either, but the story was just so well done. Sure. I mean, but I've never even read it. I've never read really? the death of Captain Marvel. I've ne- I have never read any of the original Captain Marvel, uh, the Marvel adventures. No okay. Never. I mean, I only know him as that guy that died. So I know his importance and I know his legacy, but 
I, I never had any connection to him. Shame I, on you. You got to read that. I never, I just never had the opportunity. We'll tear a nerd stripe off your uniform right now. <laughs> Ripped. Stay away. There you go. Stay away. You just got bumped down to lieutenant. You, you can't. Listen, I'm a five star <laughs> decorated general. My number four fallen hero is also a Ted. Ted Cord, Blue Beetle. Yeah. His death kicked off the countdown to Infinite Crisis. Yes. And it was a good scene. It was a well told story. Yeah. Uh, but it was a real bummer that they had to use that character. And take him off the table completely. That is why he does not make my top five. Because I felt like his death was kind of pointless and stupid. No, it was his death that made the heroes sit up and go, oh, crap. You know, he was right. He was trying to tell us all along I, that I, something was wrong. I get it. And Maxwell Lord is trying to take over the Earth. Just shot him in the head. Yeah. And <laughs> it, like it, his death is what prompted that whole that whole thing. I know. And it was well written. <coughs> It was well written and well executed. It was very violent and sudden, and it worked yeah. really well in like a universe where heroes are killed by planets being clapped together. He got shot in the head. You sure. Know? Uh, and to this day, he's he rem- he's either dead or they haven't brought him back or he de- never existed. Or Booster's looking for him. But know, In the Old West. Yes. <laughs> but in terms of uh, what it meant at the time and my attachment to the character at the time, it hit me really hard. Yeah, bum me out too. Uh, Ted Cord, my number four, Matt. My number four goes to Aztec, created what? by Grant Morrison. Uno, you're just reaching. No, you're no, making no. stuff up. I loved Aztec, man. He was a character named Uno. He was raised from childhood by a secret organization called the Q Society to be the champion of the Aztec god Quetzalcoatl to battle their enemy, the Aztec god. Whew, Tecazalapoca. Right. There we go. He's given a magical suit of armor that bestows many abilities, complementing Uno's peak human, mental, and physical abilities. But it all turned out to be bullshit because he was a plant by Lex Luthor. Created by Lex Luthor. Created by Lex Luthor and stuck in the JLA to spy on them when he found out he was so bummed out that he sacrificed his life to help Superman battle Magadon. And it was Awesome. He wasn't. He didn't do it because he was bummed out. Well, he didn't do it because he was bummed out. He did it because there were nuclear warheads on the JLA watchtower, and he had to be the one to take care of them. And it was an awesome yes. death. It was so cool. He is my number four fallen hero. I Fair love Aztec. Enough. Who's your number three, Joe Patrick? My number three, and I'll be stunned if he doesn't appear somewhere on your list. Nightcrawler, Kurt Wagner. He does not appear on my list. Damn. What? I don't like the way he died. Well, but he's still a character that you love. That I dead. love him, and he's a great character. I don't like the way he died, and it's like I almost just don't want to deal with it. This isn't about you know what I mean. The quality of his sacrifice. It's about the fact that he's a a dead hero that I love. I okay, fair enough. I'll give you that. But I went with both dead hero that I love and the quality of their death. Oh, see, I well, I I I, I kind of jumped around. I waited out that way. I love Nightcrawler. Yes, the way he died was kind of silly. He was dumb. Teleported in front of a Nimrod, ended up with an arm in his chest. Yeah, it was dumb. Whatever. But uh, this was a Messiah Complex yes. storyline. The end or of Or Second Messiah. Coming. Second Coming, which was the conclusion of that trilogy. Yes, that's right. I'm sorry. Also, Cable died for five seconds. Yeah. And he died to, to protect Hope from Nimrod. It was a stupid death, and he shouldn't be dead, and I hate that he's dead. Yeah. But he's dead. Therefore, Nightcrawler is my number three. Fair enough. It's a good call. Matt, who's your number three? 
My number three goes to Winter from Stormwatch. Oh, that's a good answer. Yes. Created by Brandon Choi and Jim Lee back in the day for Wildstorm Stormwatch book. Nicholas Androvich Kamarov had energy absorption powers that allowed him to turn heat energy into cold blasts. He was a Soviet Olympic gymnast and later forced into the Spetnaz where his powers developed. He sacrificed himself by flying the Stormwatch space station into the sun after it was overrun by Ridley Scott aliens. Xenomorphs! It was awesome! Uh, Yeah. It was such a badass death. It kicked everybody off the ship, went, get out of here, I'll take care of this. Flew it into the sun. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't sound like it should be awesome, but the final issue of Warren Ellis' run on Stormwatch oh, before it become the be- became the authority. It was so good. Is Wildcats Aliens? Yeah, it's uh, it's so well, bizarre. It was Wild Stormwatch Aliens and continued in Wildcats Aliens. No, there was, was just one shot. I a it, was one, it was just a one shot. Wildcats oh no, you're aliens. right. Stormwatch was just part of it. Yeah, and it like it's so crazy that that's how it ended up. But it's a great uh, ending for that character. I would also argue it is the best whatever Aliens crossover. Sure. And in your face, Winter came back. No no longer dead. When did he come back? Oh, later. Way later. I don't remember him coming back. Yeah. I thought he was still deep. Uh, later on, when people that weren't Warren Ellis or Mark Miller were doing the authority and it was kind of crappy. Yeah, it doesn't count. No, it's it counts. That he came count. back. And then later, he was in one of the books. Yeah. Winter was? Yup. I don't remember. Are you sure it wasn't a different person with the same code name? I am sure. Okay. Sorry. Whatever. Who's your number two? My number two fallen hero is Superman. Because. All right, all right. At age whatever, in 1992, I guess I was 13 or 14, I had. I Surely I had seen characters die before. Okay. But I don't really remember any major characters getting killed off in the books I was reading. Nor did I have a concept of. Death not being permanent in comics. Right. And back then, there wasn't a lot of heroes getting killed. And the revolving door wasn't really a thing. No. Like, the only notable exception is Jean Grey, who they said, well, she wasn't really dead. It wasn't really her. Right. So to me, when Superman died, it actually, like, it stunned me. Like, I couldn't believe it. Like, what was going to happen? How can this be? Yeah. How is DC going to move forward without Superman? And, of course, in short order, I knew... You know, things were the story wasn't over, right? But at the in that moment, I was just like really affected by it, and yeah. So Superman is my number two. Fair enough, Matt Bum. You know, I want to change mine, but I'm not going to. Don't do it. I'm gonna stick with it. My number two goes to the Green Man. <laughs> I loved the Green Man. He was so cool. Green Man was not actually his name. He didn't have a name. He was a Green Lan- member of the Green Lantern Corps. He was supposed to police space sector designated 2828 by the Green Lantern Corps. He is a Uxorian? Uxorian? U-X-O-R-I-N-S. Sure. Uxorian. Yeah. Now, his race of people frowned on individuality, so none of them had a name. But he was kind of a misfit, and so he wanted to have his own name, but didn't really name himself. He came to the Green Lantern Corps, and he was like, I don't have a name. And they're like, well... You're the green man. Because <laughs> he was green. He was just kind of a green blob. He was killed by Alpha Lantern Varix when we figured out the Alpha Lanterns were actually bad or they malfunctioned or whatever. They were was. being controlled or something. Oh, that's right. They were being controlled. 
once again by the little blue guys, the Guardians, who are just total sh**. Yeah, they uh, (laughs) read Green Lantern 20. (laughs) But I loved the Green Man. He was so cool, and I totally miss him. His death was not that great, so it kind of flies in the face of the rest of my list. But I love that character, and I want him back. Joe Patrick, what's your number two? I already gave my number two in Superman. Joe Patrick, what is your number one? Well, my number one fallen hero. I I may have been exaggerating a little when I said I didn't have a a real sense that big name characters could die in comics because... Going with Barry Allen. One of my fondest comic book memories. One of the... uh, one of the things that I attribute... I'm, I'm trying to guess this, and I can't Don't do guess it. it. Just let me get I to it. I can guess it. <clears throat> one of the things that I attribute to my love of comics today comes from a comic book that I traded for on the bus. Okay. On the way to Kellam Elementary School in Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. Somehow, I had come into possession of a copy of ElfQuest from Marvel. Like one of Marvel's ElfQuest little comics. All right. I don't know how I got it. I didn't want it. It's like somebody gave it to me. You like comics. Here you go. Right. And I had this thing. And a kid on the bus had this comic. And I coveted it. It's like, I want that comic. And he traded me for ElfQuest. I thought you were going to say you bashed his head. No. (laughs) No. So I killed him. (laughs) He got my copy of ElfQuest. And I got his copy of Crisis on Infinite Earths number seven. There we go. The death of Supergirl. Supergirl. Ugh. The Earth One Supergirl. Yeah, that is a good one. Marv Wolfman and George Perez uh, handled this issue, and she is literally beaten to death by the Anti-Monitor in front of Superman and a squad of heroes that have come to the Anti-Monitor universe to stop him. Who's super violent? Yeah. and No pun intended. She stays behind, and she has him on the ropes. And she is buying the heroes time to escape because they know now they can't win in this moment. And as they're coming away, Superman hesitates and he turns back because they uh, their mission is to destroy these machines that the Anti-Monitor is using to merge universes together. And Superman hesitates. And in that moment, she turns away from the battle and says, no, go. Yeah. I've got it. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. And he looks at her and goes, you foolish girl, you should have killed me while you had the chance. And his eyes light up and he blasts her and she's gone. And she and he escapes like she almost kills him and he escapes and they destroy the machines in in that brief moment. There is a, a respite. The, the immediate crisis is over and Superman gets to say goodbye to his cousin and her death is a huge impact on the DC Universe in, in that time. They have a huge funeral for her. The Legion of Superheroes shows up. Yeah. Like, the whole world stops for Supergirl's funeral. And I am in third grade, and I am not equipped <laughs> to handle this comic. <laughs> and, of course, I know now what Crisis was ultimately about. It was my first issue of that series, and I had no idea, like, what's happening all I, all I knew was that it had all of the superheroes, and I wanted it. Fair enough. And it was such a good, well-written, well-drawn piece of comic book art, and it still holds up today. Totally holds up today. It's an amazing read. Supergirl is my number one fallen hero. That's an excellent choice. Matt Baum, lay it on me. Um, man, I feel like mine's almost not as good. 
But mine needs no discussion whatsoever. I'm going to say this. I'm going to drop the microphone. I'm going to walk off the stage. Okay. Ready for this? Yep. Ben Parker. Without him, we have no Spider-Man. Ben Parker, my fallen hero, number one, stopping a robbery, gets shot, dies. Peter Parker. I don't think that's true to the spirit of the question. Peter Parker carried that crap around with him. You might as well. You might as well say Jor-El and Laura, or Thomas and Martha Wayne. That didn't do it for me. I I go back every time. I think of like one moment that clearly defined like a superhero's life and changed him and made him a better person. Ben Parker's death, man. Without him, we have no Spider-Man. Number one. With a bullet. <laughs> Bam! <laughs> I guess I'll accept it, even though I don't think it's strictly within the parameters of the well, question. I mean, come on. He's a fallen hero. A dead superhero that dies in the line of duty. Okay, fair enough. Sorry. All right, but I'd still say it. I, I agree. His death is important. Yeah. And... I'll allow it. Probably the single most important death in the beginning of the Marvel Universe. Fair. All right. Yes. Yeah. Screw you. Put it back on the board. Sorry. Mine's still better. Survey says, number one. Mine's still better. (laughs) Be sure to let us know all about your favorite dead superheroes over at the comments section for this week's episode at TwoHeadedNerd.com. I was going to go with Vindicator. You're digging a hole. I was. I love it. Wrap it up. The death of Vindicator was awesome. Sort of break it break it down like this. And that is it for the Memorial Day episode of THN. If you love listening to two man babies fight about comics while barbecuing on a long weekend, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to prove your THN love, you can leave us a star rating or a written review or a Stitcher thumbs up and help us to connect with other potential listeners. Potential. Potential. Huge thanks to all of our past donors. And if you'd like to help keep us in vinyl Superman capes and plastic Captain America shields, you can make your donation in any amount using our adorable little PayPal button. It likes to pretend that it's Tiny Wolverine. Aww, that's cute. You can find that at TwoHeadedNerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed, at TwoHeadedNerd, our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, and our YouTube channel, THN Comicast, and our Skype handle, TwoHeadedNerd, and our new direct phone number, 402-819-4894. Call us, leave us a message. Using all these, you can send slash call us with your Ask a Nerd questions, or ask the comic pushers what you should be reading, or... Ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, whatever. And don't forget to check out all the new content from the THN Love Slaves at TwoHeadedNerd.com, including an open apology to me from Keith Silva when he admits that Black Kiss 2 is certainly porn. And trust me, I know what porn looks like. And a new blog from our newest love slave, Mr. Willie Toots. Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. And if you want to hear your fellow listeners' answers as well as our own, be sure to check out the TwoHeadedNerd.com web exclusive. Not safe for Wooly Toots. Not safe for Wooly Toots audio blog, the answer of the week. Ironically, he's one of our most regular callers. It's true. Next week, our plucky kid reporter, Little Lydia Bomb, joins us to review Adventure Time. Annual, the Adventure Time Annual Number One from Kaboom Studios, the part of our Beat Kids. <laughs> Is that what we were calling it? No, our Kids Beat Report. 
I don't think we named it. What, what was that from? Kids on the beat. Kids on the street. Beat kids. Beat kids. <laughs> it was an MTV thing. Oh, <laughs> it was like this geez. big dude voice goes, beat kids. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Chrissy Myers, wife of Aaron Myers, king of Askinerd, who let him put a baby up inside her. Yeah. Both mom and little Logan Xavier. No, word to you. Mom. Oh, all right. Word to you, Mom, and little Wolverine Professor X Myers. <laughs> and until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. He will never let me take his line. That's right. It's mine. <laughs>